dial star 611 for assistance as your cellular phone is not authorized for use at this time. Pour de l'assistance, veuillez composer étoile 611. Vous n'avez pas le... Hello, podcast listener. Everything around you that you call life was made by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. The App Guy Podcasts, straight from your host, Paul the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I'm Paul Kemp. I'm your host. And I've got Bear Cahill, who is an author of uh, iOS in Practice. He's also a freelance mobile app developer and iOS developer. And he's currently founded a company called BrainwashInc.com. You should definitely check that out. That's www.brainwashinc.com. And I'll put that in the show notes at the end. He also teaches uh, corporations, uh, iOS development, and for Celebrate.com. And he's on RayWinderlich.com, which is a forum uh, for developer experts. So he is really well versed in iOS development. He's got a huge array of apps that he can talk about and some that he can't talk about. So we're, we're kind of thrilled that you could join us, Bear. Um, I've just taken a, a minute to introduce you, but perhaps you can talk about yourself for a few minutes and your business as well. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, I started out professionally developing quite quite a long time ago at IBM and went to Ericsson and Travelocity after that, kind of each time going to smaller and smaller companies until eventually um, I'm freelance now, uh, which has got a lot of pros and benefits to it that I like. Um, but uh, started out just being curious, I think, and, and finding work different places and then eventually going solo was primarily a um, result of the company I was working for was moving development out of state, and so I took a package and had a few opportunities and uh, was able to turn that into basically full-time freelance work and uh, fortunately been able to keep it going now since then, which was mid-2008, so really enjoyed it and um, hopefully will continue to go well. Yes, and what was it like? Uh, clearly, 2008 was a tough year, you know, the credit crunch and uh, a lot of people getting laid off. Uh, how uh, was it kind of moving into your own thing? Uh, did you take clients with you from the company? Perhaps you could spend a minute talking through that part of your life because I think that's really interesting to the audience. Sure. I was doing well, Windows development at the time for an educational uh, software company and was doing just a tiny bit on the side of actually Java server development, um, a little bit on some BlackBerry and J2ME phones. Um, wasn't really looking to go solo, although it was kind of something I'd always had in the back of my mind. But um, so so I, when I took the package, I knew I had a bit of a cushion to to try my own thing. So I thought, you know, I'm getting good work from this, this company that they were subbing some work out to me. And um, I thought I'd give it a try, see if I could drum up some of my own work. I didn't, there wasn't any clients to take from the company. So that wasn't even an option. But uh, this company that I was doing some subcontracting for, they said, we're getting, you know, a lot of interest for this new thing, this iPhone development. Um, would you be interested in doing some of that? And I said, you know, yeah, if it pays, I'm interested. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make, make this work any way I can. So I bought my first Mac, and at the time, everything was really under NDA. So I bought a, uh Objective-C book and a Cocoa book and kind of 
you know, hacked my way through it as, as best I could to figure out how to make something work on the, the iPhone and I was able to get enough work through them. And then at the time, you know, with the, the app store being so new, there was um, apparently enough demand and I had enough connections and so forth to to get the leads, to get the work and and keep the thing going. And it was extremely exciting. I mean, I love developing iOS. Um, I love the community of, of developers and there's always a lot of new things happening and uh, frameworks out there and you know, changes to the the hardware and the software that keep to, to me make it better and better. I mean, one of the early apps I worked on used Maps, and you had to actually use Google Maps and load them in real time, and it, it was tough. So every time that something would come out, like MapKit or StoreKit and core location updates and everything, that just made things easier and easier. It was nice to have the background of being able to appreciate the new things and and the new capabilities of the device. So to me, it just seems like it keeps getting better and better. What was it like actually going solo after working for you know a company effectively? What, how did it feel? And, and perhaps you can guide us through uh, any thoughts that you have on, on suggestions for, for people thinking about doing the same thing. Well, it was, it was mixed. You know, it was, it was scary to go out and, you know, have to have this number in your mind of, how much money you need to make each day or each week and uh, the, you know, kind of putting pressure on yourself and staying up late at night to get things working. But it was also exciting because I fortunately did have some work and was able to kind of, you know, have a bit of a positive outlook on it. But, um, but it, so it was mixed, but um, you know, I think the important thing is, is, you know, I developed connections over time. So there was people that I could ask, um, if they needed any work and uh, and had a, a good reputation to where I could be trusted or have good referrals and recommendations from people. So it, it, it went well, but then, you know, when it rains, it pours. And so it's kind of a feast or famine type thing. And there were times where, you know, it was slow, especially around, you know, end of the year when companies are looking at their budgets and, you know, you're kind of wondering when your, your next uh, gig's going to come in. You start eyeing sites like guru.com and such for work and kind of looking at that bank account, kind of saying, okay, I've got this many weeks until I've got to go get a job. And uh, it is kind of, there is kind of a cutoff point to where, you know, if you do go get that job, it's not like you're going to, you know, just have it for a month and then you're back on your feet. So it's, 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 you got to make some tough decisions and it's, it's certainly not for everybody, but there's also probably some different arrangements you can work out with people that make it more conducive to your experience. And we actually share the same experience here. I, in fact, in 2008 was when I left my uh, job. It was, you know, very scary. And I, I think people listening to this, you know, perhaps, you know, you could argue that if you weren't given, the kind of incentive to go out in 2008 because of the changes of the, the company, perhaps, you know, would you have still been where you are now? Uh, do you feel that there needs to be an event for people to go and do their own thing? Yeah, well, it certainly would help with, with certain people. And then there's other people you probably couldn't stop. But um, yeah, there, there, there might be something like for me, it was kind of, uh, it was that event that also kind of gave me the, the excuse to kind of say, well, I'll give it a try. You know, I knew I had a cushion and I knew I, I kind of had a clock running that um, maybe I can make this work. And, um, yeah, if, if that hadn't happened, 
you know, I probably would have continued to just do things on the side, hoping that that would somehow build up to something, but it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be given a very good chance given the limited amount of time that I would have to do it. And, you know, we, we were having kids at the time. And so my, my time was going to actually get probably a lot more limited as it went on. And, you know, you, you get that, uh, you get that inertia, you get tied to that, whether it's a paycheck or like comfort. We have a very shared experience here because I, I was having kids again at the same time as you were. So are your kids four, four now? You're... Well, no, now they're, they're nine and six, but nine and six, five right. years ago, you know, they, they didn't have as much uh, needs as they do now. <laughs> you know, now I'm helping with homework and, and, you know, science projects and that kind of thing. Whereas back then it was, you know, uh, feeding one of them maybe a bottle or something like that. <laughs> I had a lovely experience. Uh, I'm, I'm going off on a side here, but I had a lovely experience the other day where my kid was playing this game uh, app called uh, Codable, and it teaches the basic principles uh-huh. of coding through a game. And uh, he's he's flying through this, and I'm thinking this is this is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's learning from an age of four. Yeah, <laughs> both I, of them uh, have got twins. So when I was learning Unity, I um, I had my son come up with a story and draw some pictures and very very crudely I made a game out of it as a learning experience for me and then put it on the app store and it's it's not much of a game but it was something that I would hope would kind of um you know set the wheels in motion for him that you you can create this you can do this you can you know you can become my apprentice someday and I would love it if my kids went that direction if it was something that they could enjoy as much as I am yeah there's um a talk on ted with the kid of 12 who created the app um a bieber basher which i believe is a very big app on the app store for uh, people that don't like justin bieber <laughs> he's the age of 12 and he's given nope. a ted talk and he sounds like very credible and he's he's uh, written this app so yeah so it's a young man's mm. game perhaps but let's um you know, talk about then that period of your life where you did start going alone and you self-teaching um, on the principles of uh, uh, app development. What gave you the credibility, do you think, to kind of really go and get opportunities? What was it actually writing the book? And, and how did you get the, the gig for the book as well? I mean, perhaps you could talk about that. Yeah, the book came along a bit later. Um, I think what gave me the credibility is just the experience of being at... Um, IBM and, and Ericsson and, and Travelocity for several years, and um, uh, on top of that, being able to uh, one of one of my key skills is the that adaptability of being able to go from one platform to the other, one language to the other, being a little bit more maybe abstract in the sense that uh, I've been able to translate across those types of things, and so. Um, the uh, that that credibility followed me when I switched to the next platform, and um, but also you know developing relationships with people uh, in a in a personal sense and a social sense, such that when um, uh, they would think of some need or or have that, that type of thing, not just can you fix my printer, but hey, a friend of mine has this idea or he's starting a company or something that they felt comfortable and at least contacting me for maybe for advice or how that would possibly work. Um, like you said, it's it's a bit of a young man's game. I think the perception is it's a young man's game um, because of the media. You know, They're going to give a lot of attention to the 12 and 14-year-olds that, that do this type of thing. But I think that uh, unfortunately that the byproduct of that can be that 
while they're learning lessons, they don't realize that these lessons were learned 20, 30 years ago by people who were doing software development and they, you know, uh, transfer to, to every type of development. You know, bug fixes are more expensive to fix the longer in the process they live. Um, the earlier you can fix them, the better. Those types of things that I've, I've heard talks at conferences by younger developers and um, they're, they're teaching these things and they're right, but they're common knowledge among people who've been developing for, for decades. Um, and so I think sometimes we maybe don't realize the, the wisdom of somebody who's, who's experienced and has been through this hundreds of times and uh, has learned these, these types of lessons. It's nothing against them. It's the millennials, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they give much credibility to the uh, to authority or people in uh, power. Or it, know, it could be. I mean, but they, they may just not have access to them. I mean, if you go to a lot of the conferences, it does tend to be a younger crowd. Um, but I think it, it would probably uh, do, do a lot of good to bring in some developers even if they're not iOS developers, but just some developer that, you know, has been coding in one way or another for, for decades to kind of, hey, t teach us what we, we don't know yet. Um, you know, some methodologies or, you know, success or failure, whatever it is, but, um, but things that uh, just uh, transcend the language and the platform and, and the, the context, but just go along with software development in general. So you started uh, during the credit crunch, and you've managed to keep you know like that going all, all this time now. You, you clearly you've got a lot of connections. What advice would you give to anyone listening to this who perhaps is just starting out, and, and maybe they are you know the millennial generation where they're just coming out of university, college, or whatever? Uh, how do you go about getting connections? Uh, you know, how do you and what advice would you give to kind of getting connected in in the app world? Well, I mean, as, as hard as it is for developers to do it and, and to hear it, it's, you, you need to make sure that you're social. You know, you have to, for, for, for lack of a better term, you have to sell yourself. Um, so you have to get out there and tell people what you're doing and put it in front of people and, and, uh, and market yourself in that way. And, and a lot of that is going to be social. That, as they say about getting jobs, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, there's some crazy statistic like 99% of all new jobs are found through, you know, people you know. There's there's opportunities out there, and you have to remind people that you can fill that opportunity when when it comes up. They have to think of you, and so going to conferences and um, putting yourself out there and introducing yourself to people, and making sure they know what you're doing. You know, again, going to online resources like forums and such, and and offering your services or or just posting and, you know, being known as a presence there. Um, but basically just getting yourself out there. I mean, if you're, you're the greatest coder in the world, anything that there is to offer out there, whether it's an app or a song or a person, if they could be the greatest thing in the world, but if nobody ever hears about it, it it's not going to sell. It's not going to get any attention, and so it's not going to have the chance to succeed. I can write a great app, but I know that I'm not uh, an app marketer. And so I, I know my limitations there, but but going to conferences and being around people of the same kind of uh, passions for this type of development, and then a lot of times you go to conferences and there'll be people there that are not technical. They're there to meet people who are technical. But just making those relationships. I met Ray. I've used his site, Ray Winderlich. I used his site. 
I met him at a conference and then I saw a post that he made that they were looking for a new subject matter expert for the forum and I wrote him and said, hey, let me know if, if I'd be a good fit. And he was like, you'd be a great fit. And so it was, you know, boom, it was done. And uh, just, yeah, I want to talk about RayWinderlich.com and, and that forum certainly in a, in a few minutes, but I want to stick on this topic of connections because there are people listening to this uh, podcast that are not in Silicon Valley and not in New York and not in the traditional places you would get, uh, you know, the community. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a little bit more challenging. It's actually partly the reason why I'm doing the podcast as well, because there are other alternatives to you know to the conference circuit. But what what advice would you suggest if you know people are in um, other locations other than the, you know the usual kind of spots where developers hang out? Uh, can you can you can you be successful as an app developer if you're not in you know the, the locations where where it's all happening? Oh yeah, I mean we're, this is the digital age, as they say. I mean I'm. I'm near Dallas, but I don't necessarily do a lot in Dallas. Most of my clients find me, you know, online. Um, lots of them I, I never meet in person. There's plenty of them I never even talk to on the phone. It's all done over email. Um, but I will say, as far as the conferences go, that that yeah, it's not convenient, but it's you have to pay the price. So I, I've never been to a conference I didn't have to travel to, to some distance. Um, but if you if it's really not conducive, if you, like you said geographically or monetarily, then then yeah, you just have to focus more of doing the online thing and um, be a part of online forums and groups and and contribute any way you can. You know, there's there's so many resources with like even Meetup.com. Even if you can't go, you can see what's going on. Uh, LinkedIn, um, just other forums that already exist out there and, and websites that you can get involved in. You can write to people and start a conversation directly with them. As you said uh, uh, in your past podcast, you know, you've given ways to get in touch with these people and chances are they're willing to help, you know, that they, that you can develop a relationship with them that way. Um, but also look at, you know, standard media. You know, one of the ways I got a lot of attention early on was I contacted, uh, a technical blog that was run out of Dallas that was had a relationship with Dallas paper. And so after that, um, you know, I would, I would write him and, uh, ask if he had any questions about iPhone development or anything like that. And we start up a relationship. And then when he needed, you know, a quote or an interview or something, he would contact me. And then he started referring other people to me for, as a, a resource for interviews. Um, and also push, you know, any any work that you get, try to push it out there. Try to push your clients to promote it in the same way, to contact local media outlets and app review websites. And a lot of times they'll mention you on there. I always ask my clients, um, you know, can I, can I list your app on my website as one that I've worked on? And uh, nine times out of ten I ask them in the About page, can I, can I put a link to my company? You know, maybe I'll discount the price a little bit if I can kind of put a little mention of me and my company in there. Um, just leverage what you can. I mean, try not to get too distracted and become all market-minded. you got to stay technical, but take the opportunities you can to make connections and put forth that effort and, you know, develop the social skills that you can, you can make these connections. If you do go to a conference... You know, go up and introduce yourself to the person. You know, Did you go in. to the WWDC? Is that a, a necessary thing? No, I went to the first couple, but once they started giving the videos away for free, 
Um, I'd probably only consider going now for social reasons and, and making more connections. Uh, there's other conferences I, I would prefer to go to, to actually go to for the, the technical sessions because, you know, they're not giving away the videos. But it's a, it's a great one. You know, WWDC is great. Like, again, if you only go socially and just attend the parties and, and make some connections and stuff, that's, that's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, if, if, you got to make that connection. You got to take it to the next level. And so, you know, like your podcasts, I've emailed with Erica Sadoon before, but not John. So, but I, I followed him on Twitter and I intend to write him and compliment. Oh, that's great. Him. Yeah. Uh, what, what are the other conferences that you'd suggest people attend in the well, U S the, the primary one that I like is 360 iDev, which is 360iDev.com. It's smaller. Um, it's cheaper. And uh, it's it's very technical, but also it has it's well rounded. So they have a lot of sessions on marketing your app and how to determine you know uh, if your app is good and how to promote it and that type of thing. And it's it's small enough to the degree that whereas at WWDC you might see somebody once and not see them again for the rest of the week at, at 360 iDev, chances are you're going to have lunch. Will they provide lunch? And so you, you could eat with that person, and then afterwards, a lot of times they provide beers or have a party afterwards, and you could, again, just socially hang out with the same people. So through that conference, I've met some some great developers that I've been able to keep in touch with, and just had one in Vegas about a, not quite a year ago, and, and, and met some great guys, and, and met some other people looking to hire a developer, and it's, it's the, probably the best bang for your buck. So let's talk about clients as well, because there are people listening to this who are, are you know, looking at your your um, LinkedIn and seeing, you know, the fact that you've worked with a lot of clients. Um, what advice would you have about getting clients? You know, how do you go about doing it? And what are your your, your most successful kind of sources of, of clients, you know, when clients are actually coming to you? Is it word of mouth or is it through the, uh, the book, the fact that you've got this uh, reputation online? How do you get your clients? It, it's a mix. Um, a lot of word of mouth, people referring other people, um, you know, from, from having good experiences and then people finding me online, just doing a search or reading an article that happens to mention me or my company. Um, do you do paid, paid search at all? No. Any paid advertising? No. Um, you know, I try to keep up with my blog and, and post technical articles. So a lot of clients see that and they see that they're not just hiring somebody that's non-technical. Um, I try to be very personable on the phone, but also I try to be very upfront, you know, of expectations is there's nothing worse than giving bad news later when you promise something you weren't sure you could fulfill or you came back with sticker shock that it's going to cost more, it's going to be late. One of my rules of thumb is that if a, if a client has to ask for an update, that's a fail. You know, if I didn't communicate such that he had to write me and ask what was going on with the project, then I feel like I dropped the ball there and you don't want your clients to worry about if the job's getting done. So you need to make sure that you're keeping them up to date all the time and never giving them unexpected bad news or that there's going to be a delay in the project, that type of thing. So just acting very professionally with your clients, I think, is, is, a, is a big win um, for the experience, um, the overall outcome, and then that turns into referrals to the, the next person, the next person. Um, I, so and what about, um, I mean, there's, a, a, you know, one of the challenges I think a lot of us have is we, are, well, certainly I 
specifically undersell myself sometimes and you know perhaps charge less for an app uh, that you develop for a client than you should how do you figure out pricing that that is tough i've known people that have most people actually that charge too little um whether they think they can do it faster or they just have a hard time giving that big number um it was it was a lot you know to go through it's i'm still working on it it's it's hard to come up with a hard and fast rule and you know how do you weigh it in time or do you weigh it in value because you know you if you go to a a really good doctor he's not going to charge you less because he's good at it um you have to charge you know what you're worth and maybe it's overkill maybe they don't need somebody that good that's fine but you can't charge less because they can't afford it or they don't think it's uh, that complex complicated of an app and so you do have to figure out too you know what's your hourly rate and stick to it and realize that not all of your hours are going to be billable you're going to spend a lot of time on the phone and writing emails so you have to come up with a reasonable hourly rate based on what you need to survive and what what you think um, the amount of work you can get uh, but I don't think it, it's obviously not fair to charge more for an app just because um, they can afford it or you want more money or something it has to be a combination of those factors of what you bring to the table um, even though you've done it before it doesn't make it worth less that's that's valuable time to you that you can be you know working for someone else too and and I will say that uh, more often than not a bad client is worse than no client if you have a client that's constantly asking for changes for without wanting to pay for them or uh, not giving you specifics and they're asking you to kind of do something and they'll tell you what they don't like about it and you can go back and try again you know that that can be a very big drain on you and that's taking time away from you that you can be making money somewhere else and so listen to the the warning signs um, when you find a client that doesn't know what they want they're going to they're going to expect you to provide something they'll just tell you that's not it try again so you have usually I find those clients are the ones that actually start negotiating quite hard up front before you even start yeah you, you got to watch out for those warning signs if they if they are are nitpicking about that type of thing then they're gonna they're gonna you know they're trying to tell you something there of how this experience is going to go so it, it's tough I mean so I try to break a lot of projects into two phases a design phase and then a, a development phase like building a house, it's like first we have to architect it. We have to come up with a blueprint, something specific. I can't give you a precise price on developing it if I don't have precise requirements. And so maybe I'll go hourly to help them design what they want based on what they have and resources they have. They may have some artwork or whatever. But um, And then once we have kind of that requirement spec, I can, I can give you a price for how much it takes me to build it. And it's you know really challenging sometimes, I think, working – uh, I guess in a small team or even on our own, because um, we, I mean, we feel like we need to do everything. Do you do you tend to do um, most aspects of an app build project uh, from start to finish, or do you outsource any any components of the phases of app development? I, I pretty much do it all. Um, I'll outsource artwork, and um, you know, if there are other components, particularly a server side piece that's either beyond me, which uh, it happens quite often, and if it's something I can't use a service like Parse.com or Urban Airship for, then then I'll find a, a web developer. So I try to focus on iOS development. I've kind of always meant to learn Android, but fortunately, I haven't had the time 
So I'll, I'll outsource that if the client wants that. So I'll primarily stick to iOS development. Um, if they want something that is really more of an entire system and, and they think it's an app, but really it's a, it's a complex set of, of you know, pieces, then I might push them towards uh, using something else and then I'll do the iPhone iPad app for it, but uh, but try not to downgrade it to just calling it an app when really there's an entire CMS on the server behind it and such. And in terms of the outsourcing, uh, is there any particular resources that you would feel useful to share to people listening to this uh, that you use? You know, especially for artwork and server side work. I, I try to use different. Um, sources when possible that for different things it depends on the uh the need of the client if they need something that's ruby on rails versus php versus you know like you said artwork it it kind of depends on what they need and what um what budget they have i try to focus on using people that i know um personally and know well so that i can vouch for them and and know that they're going to get the job done um so those tend to be a lot more local people and working with clients i mean i'm really interested in this because you know we are there are people listening to this that are picking up perhaps their first client they're working with a handful of clients right now and i mean it can be challenging because the divide between the expectations of the client and then what we actually work through and deliver do you have you know really strong service level agreements in place how, how does your contracting with clients work Perhaps you could talk a little bit about that. It's fairly loose. A lot of times I let the, the client drive the, the contract aspect. If they want a contract, a lot of times they're going to have specific desires about it. So if I provide something, we're going to have a back and forth until it gets to where they want it to be. So I tend to just say, you provide the contract. or you know, And, and they, it's easy enough. If they want something simple, they can find it online. But what I do is I'll, I'll write up at some point, whether it's um, – if we do a design phase or phase or otherwise, I'll come up with a as detailed as I can implementation requirement spec. So th- I'm saying this is what I'm going to develop, and this and it's going to be for this amount of money. And I try not to overbill them, even if I know they're going to want some changes to it, just because once it's in their hand, they're going to see it. You know, they're going to have other ideas, but I try not to build in. Uh, payment for that so that I can give them a lower price, but I'm trying to be very clear up front that any changes you make to this, it's going to be additional costs. I mean, that's just that's just the way it works. If you ask somebody to mow your yard for 30 bucks and then tell them it would be nice if the, the bushes were clipped too, it's like, yeah, but you're going to have to pay for that. You don't just get that thrown in. And so just just being as upfront as you can in communication, very clear about setting expectations. This is what I'm going to do, and this is how much it costs. And, you know, again, look for the warning signs if they try to start negotiating. It's it's better to say, I understand that this is $1,000 more than you expected to pay. So why don't we pull out some of the features, and we'll save those for the next version. If you start, you know, negotiating down your price, you're just doing more work for free. And it's fine to be nice, and there's it's a there's – portfolio pieces that are nice to have and you certainly want to be helpful and uh, a nice guy and everything but what I try to tell people is it's it's not just me being a nice guy if I'm taking less money that means maybe we won't take a vacation that we were going to take or maybe we won't you know uh, get 
the new car we need until you know a couple months later. Whatever it is, it's, that's actual money that I'm giving away at that point. And you have to make sure it's worth it. In some cases, it might be, but don't don't necessarily just be scared and be willing to earn less money for what you're doing. It, if you know, figure out what you're worth and charge that. And and one of my rules of thumb, another one is is bid a project to where when they say yes or no you're good with that. If they say no and you think, oh, I bid too high, then you bid too high. I should have bid less. I really wouldn't want that work. But if they, if you bid low and they say yes and you regret it, you don't want that either. You want that number to be, when you send them that number, you're thinking, if they say yes to this, am I going to like that? If they say no to this, am I going to be okay with that? And if so, then that's probably the right number. Yeah, I mean, there's those opportunities that come in to us that perhaps it's an app that has a lot of complexities around the development and perhaps we overcharge, <laughs> hoping that we don't get it, which mm-hmm. I personally wouldn't recommend as well. It's yeah. best to say no. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, is that is that right? Is it best to say no to these opportunities rather than taking on things that are perhaps too too much beyond you know, you know what we can do in in terms of our own talents and skills. It could be, yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of variables that go into there, but the, a bad project's a bad project, and it's you're going to have to work on it either way. And so you're going to be turning down maybe better projects along the way. So you either need to charge what it's worth to where you're, you know, happy with the work, or or turn it down, or in some cases just make the client say no. You know, bid again to the point that you that's worth it for you to do it, and. Um, you know, in some cases, it's it's just not. You're going to have to charge more for it, and you, you'll learn from experience that again, a bad project is better than. I mean, no project's better than a bad project. That's just tough to. When every day you're looking at that uh, that IDE, you're looking at Xcode, just dreading it and just wanting it to be over. <laughs> so, in terms of um, like I guess we're kind of taking up quite a lot of your time there so I'm conscious that it's now 35 minutes so um, before we say goodbye uh, what I tend to ask guests is that what um, what personal habits do you have in your uh, app development work that uh, you can share you know so, something that you perhaps do on a regular basis that you would think would be useful to uh, for others to start doing the same thing there's lots of different things I do, but probably one of the things that's most effective for me is I, I keep just a simple spreadsheet of all the projects I'm working on and what the current status of the project is. And I have a, com- a column that specifically kind of designate the, the glance at status. So if I'm waiting for the client's feedback, I can quickly glance at it and I know I'm waiting for them and I can move on to the next thing. Or what do I need to do on that? Okay, I can work on that now and maybe I'll spend three hours on that project and and then um, send something to the client and then go back to the spreadsheet and see what's next. So just it, it, it's in an aspect, it's multitasking. And another way, it's, it's prioritizing. Um, you, you have to, you know, you have to, you know, my job, one thing I say is my job is getting paid. I, I love doing this. I love development, but I do it, you know, because I can make money at it. And that's what I need to do. Um, if, if I, if I was a lawnmower guy, I would do that for money and do this maybe on the side. But I'm fortunate enough to where I can do this for a living. But I've got to work towards the money. And um, 
so I've got to get projects done and I got to get paid for them. And so I got to keep on top of things and I got to keep track of my projects and I got to satisfy my clients and communicate with them. And so keeping that kind of status board going of, of what's going on and what do I owe people and what am I waiting for is probably my primary thing that, that runs my development. And of course, uh, along with that is basically my inbox of just fighting that thing all day long of, of trying to you know, respond to requests and client feedback and everything else. Just staying on top of things. It's a discipline. Yes, I, I believe, yeah. I mean, e- email is um, a double-edged sword sometimes. But, uh, what, what I would tend to ask my guests, what, what is really getting you excited right now? What sort of things are you, maybe there's some, a project you can mention that you're working on or something that's really getting you fired up and excited right now in the app world? Um, well, I'm excited to, to try some new things. I'm, uh, I look forward to one day maybe trying Sprite Kit. I haven't, I don't develop a lot of games for clients, so I, I kind of do that on my own with Unity and that type of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, I guess one project I'm kind of working on now is using uh, Twilio, which is really well done. And so I'm, it's been fun learning how to to interface with that and, and make calls over the network and and that type of thing. So that, that's been fun. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I get asked a lot, what, what are you working on? What's, what's something interesting you're working on right now? And a lot of times I kind of like, I don't know. I don't remember. I got to go look at my spreadsheet. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, 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 doesn't make me lazy, but it, it helps. And so there are a lot of things that I'm excited about. I live, um, I live, uh, uh, in Denton, Texas, and we have a lot of local, uh, efforts to support local businesses and build up the community and so there's a lot of projects going on with that that we just recently started and so I like to kind of work within my community and combine things that that I'm passionate about with the skill sets that I have app development and so I'm looking for opportunities there to to build that up so that's that's pretty exciting just looking through uh, things I've been writing down there was uh, you mentioned raywenderlich.com perhaps you can spend a minute just uh, talking about that forum and uh, you know, I will put that in the show notes uh, afterwards. But uh, yeah, is that a forum that is uh, worthwhile for people to kind of connect with? Yeah, the the site itself is primarily a tutorial based site for for development, learning different frameworks and different types of de- development, like game development. Or um, it's it's a great resource. He's got a, a fairly extensive team, you know, writing these tutorials. Uh, the forum it, itself is is a bit more. Um, technical from the, the the individual standpoint so you can post a question like I can't figure out how to go back to the previous screen with storyboard and you know and then people can point you to either a resource or you can post code and, and somebody will answer that question and they're very responsive to those types of things so it's a great resource for people uh, learning from the beginning or, or learning something new if you've never used um, uh, the store kit before you can go go through a tutorial there and it's very it's very it's a very helpful site they put together a good team and a good set of resources with the good uh, with good people behind it so i'm one of the forum subject matter experts so try to answer questions posted to the ios development forum on that site so before i say goodbye and we we kind of work out how we get in touch with you um, is there anything you want to share with the listeners that we perhaps haven't touched on nothing different than what i've said before just work on your social skills you know 
get get out there and make connections. That's how you're going to get work if you're trying to be freelance. Um, you know, it, it's 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 hard to to make a living on developing apps uh, as far as like your own apps when it's just you and you're you're trying to market them. So try to build up you know a good uh, stable of clients and and work and and handle it professionally and and handle other developers professionally too. If you um, take over a project. Uh, that you weren't involved in at the beginning, the the code may not be what you how you would do it, but that doesn't make it wrong. And uh, just do your best, but always be upfront with your clients, set expectations, and um, you'll avoid disappointment. And then also listen to those red flags. If, if you know if something doesn't sound quite right, or uh, you know that you get the sense that this client is going to just need a lot of hand holding, then you know. Uh, make adjustments accordingly based on either price, maybe go hourly, or uh, it might be a good idea to walk away or refer them to somebody else. But um, other developers are your friends, you know, whether they're giving you technical advice or giving you overflow work. So always treat them professionally too and meet as many as you can at conferences or online and be personal. Email them. I've, Rick, I've, I wrote Erica Sadoon, I don't know, a few years ago, and I was like, you know, starstruck. And she wrote me back. I mean, it was no big deal. She was very nice. You know, I was trying to figure out some audio stuff, and she was she was great. Um, so reach out to people. You know, they're they're probably there to help. And worst case, you know, you you don't get a response back, but you you're not going to get one if you don't write anyway. Well, that's very good advice, and I think people listening to this should go and check out uh, raywenderlich.com. I will have the uh, link in the show notes. Uh, definitely go along to your website, brainwashinc.com. Uh, how else can people get in touch with you, Bear? How, what's the best way of reaching out to you? Probably email bear at brainwashing.com. Great. And you are such an expert, Bear. I mean, I appreciate that you're going to inspire people listening to this. You went uh, in the credit crunch and all the stuff was going on. You set up your own company. You're clearly an expert in the field, and uh, it's been wonderful that you've shared your advice with us. So I'm so appreciative of your time. I'm going to say goodbye to you now, and um, hopefully we'll have another opportunity uh, in the near future to, to have another session. I hope so, and thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's been fun, and hopefully it's, it's useful. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you do have any ideas on who we should interview, please send that email to info at onemob.com. That's info at O-N-E-M-O-B dot com. 